Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. This episode, as all episodes, is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. American meat delivered right to your front door. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie for a discount. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, we've got a big episode today. I have a lot to say. Even more than usual, I know that you guys are going to like this episode. When I'm preparing for particular episodes, I can just tell, okay, this is one that people are going to like and share a lot. And I hope that's true. I hope this is one that you do share and you talk about with your friends because I'm going to say some things, of course, that are controversial to the mainstream, but that I hope are also a little thought-provoking and that cause you to have good discussions with your friends and family. That is always my hope for Relatable, but especially when we talk about the things like the ones we are talking about today. We are going to peel back the layers on this whole Disney fiasco, Florida bill fiasco in a unique way because I know that you've heard a lot of people talking about it. We've already talked about it on this show, but I hope to give you a unique perspective and analysis, of course, from a Christian perspective, but just talk about some things that I think haven't been fully said and analyzed quite yet. We're going to debunk some of the new propaganda that you're hearing about Disney's battle in Florida and unveil why the company is acting the way it is, or at least from my perspective. And what I mean by that is why they are so viciously opposing the Florida parental rights law, why they are so committed to introducing, quote, queer content to our children, which they've been very outspoken about when a huge percentage of their customers don't want that kind of programming and a huge percentage of customers actually support Florida's bill. And I'll just read some statistics on that from the Daily Wire. They conducted a poll of people from all political backgrounds and they found that more than six in 10 Americans support the Florida bill's ban on classroom instructions on sexual orientation and gender identity in grades K through third and agree that this kind of curriculum would need to be presented in a way that is age appropriate. 21% said they oppose the bill. The Florida measure is backed by 69% of Republicans, 62% of Democrats, 57% of independents, 68% of parents support the Florida bill's classroom instruction regulations. They just actually had to be presented with the text of the bill, this HB 1557 that we have discussed in the past, rather than just being presented by MSNBC propaganda or have that presented to them, they just needed to read the text of the bill. And when people saw the truth of what the bill is, they actually tended to support it. So the question that I have is why doesn't Disney care about that? Why does it seem like they are beholden to a small group of radical activists? Why don't other corporations care about alienating at least half of their customer base when they support radical organizations and policies and culture war issues that we, millions of us, do not align with? Now, we've talked about some of this stuff in the past. Those of you who have been listening for a while have listened to Great Reset episodes. You might know a little bit of where I'm going in this direction, but some of what we talk about I think is still going to surprise you faithful listeners. And as I said, we will also talk about as Christians, as Christian moms, how do we approach this? Do we boycott Disney? Does that mean we have to boycott every single entity that stands for things that we don't like? What is the godly response to all of this madness? So 
I'm going to give you my perspective on all of that. But first, let me let me back up. Let me give you some context about why we are even talking about Disney in case you didn't know. And I can link some past episodes on it, but I'll just give you a quick rundown. So Florida passed a bill called HB 1557, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which prohibits schools from keeping secrets about a child and their well-being from their parents, including, for example, if the teacher... If the child tells a teacher that he wants to be the opposite sex, the school cannot keep that a secret from parents. Also, there can be no formal classroom discussions about gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. So that's five to nine-year-olds. Now, in my opinion, that doesn't go far enough, but it is what it is. That's what the bill now the law is. So Disney got into hot water, I think it was the beginning of March, with with its own employees when the CEO, Bob Chapek, refused to publicly condemn the bill. He kind of said, oh, you know, I support our LGBTQ employees, but I don't want to weigh in on this publicly. It's not going to make that much of a difference. Well, that wasn't good enough. It's never good enough for progressivism because they progressives lose sleep at night thinking that there is a random person out there who might disagree with them and might not feel as adamantly about the issues uh, that they care about as they do. And so, as I've said before, progressivism, they talk about being anti-American imperialism. They are actually very, progressive. Uh, progressivism is very imperialistic in that it seeks to take over institutions and make institutions into their image, conform institutions to their goals and their agenda. Progressivism is insanely imperialistic and very controlling in its actions. And that's what we saw with Disney. So after the backlash from these progressive employees and outside activist groups and the company's stakeholders, Disney publicly denounced the bill in so many words and announced investment, financial investment into LGBTQ plus 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 organizations and projects and projects and renewed their commitment to LGBTQ content for children. Uh, Critics called the HB 1557 the don't say gay bill. There's all kinds of propaganda about the bill pushed by the mainstream media First of all, as we've noted many times, as many people have noted many times, the bill, the law, doesn't have the word gay in it. There's no prohibition of informal speech. Teachers can have personal conversations with students about these things if they want, although I think that's weird, but they can. They're allowed to. Teachers could talk about their personal lives, which, again, you don't really need to do that in a way that would bring up sexual orientation and gender identity with young children anyway. And and this is another thing that you'll hear people say, oh, this is going to this is going to exacerbate or enable abuse of children who are uncomfortable going home and telling their parents about their feelings or whatever. But that is just bunk, because if teachers think that a child may be facing abuse at home, because of their so-called identity or for any other reason, they are already required by Florida law to report that. That's a mandatory reporting law. So knowing all of these things, it is just hard. And I've said this many times, it's hard to see any truthful, justified opposition to this bill. I haven't heard it yet. Teachers and schools should not be keeping secrets about a child from the parent. That is like anti-child abuse training 101. An adult who tells a child to keep a little secret between them from the child's parent, especially in regards to gender or sexuality, and again, we're talking about five to nine-year-olds in this bill, has crossed the line 
into. I know this word is being overused a lot recently, but that has crossed the line into grooming. They have. Now, I'm not saying that every teacher who does this is a pedophile, but that is, we have to just understand it for what it is. That is predatory behavior. And again, if the teacher actually suspects abuse to the point to where they, she, you know, she doesn't feel comfortable telling the parent something that a child told her because of that fear, then the teacher needs to go to the authorities about that. So in no, uh, in no scenario should she or he be keeping secrets with the student about their gender or sexual feelings. I mean, obviously, this was obvious about five seconds ago until activists told us that trying to prohibit these conversations is bigoted. I know some people are offended by the use of the word grooming when we talk about what this bill is preventing. And I do agree it's not a word that we should throw out nonchalantly. I don't think that we should be calling everyone with whom we disagree a groomer or even saying that anyone who opposes this bill is a groomer. I think we need to be very clear and very specific on what we mean. However, I will say is I tweeted in a satirical, sarcastic thread this morning that if we were to take the language and the logic of the left when it comes to social, racial justice, anti-racist ideology, then we would just be doubling down and saying, well, it's not enough to be not a groomer. One has to be actively anti-grooming. And if you are defending yourself against being a groomer, then maybe that's just groomer fragility speaking. And we really need to dismantle the systems, the invisible systems of groomer supremacy that is so pervasive in our society. Maybe we should set up an unelected government body of bureaucrats and activists, maybe the anti-grooming task force that goes around to different entities and decides whether they're sufficiently anti-grooming. And hey, don't make those of us doing the work of anti-grooming educate you. That's too much mental, intellectual, and emotional labor. But also you need to get educated because if you know better, you can do better. So go to Libs of TikTok or go to Chris Rufo. There are plenty of resources for you to understand just how pervasive the problem of systemic grooming is. Oh, and by the way, if your pastor is not preaching anti-grooming sermons, it's because they are on the wrong side of history. So if we were the left, we would be using all of those logical fallacies to simply double down on those accusations to basically say, if you disagree with us on any of this, it's because you're a predator. That's what they do with racism. So hopefully that lets you see that the whole anti-racist white fragility, Ibram X. Kendi, Nicole Hannah-Jones logic, reasoning, argumentation that they and their ilk use is so damaging, it is so dishonest, it is so deceitful, and it's so stupid. I mean, when the sh when when it's flipped, when the script is flipped, when the tables have turned, people tend to see on the left and the right how silly it is to make accusations like that. But we are not that because I don't want to employ the use of logical fallacies. And so I don't want to use grooming in a way that is not actually accurate because child grooming is something that is actually serious. It is something that actually happens. But I do think that when we use the term 
grooming, to describe an adult, a teacher, talking to young children without the consent and the presence of their parents about things like gender identity and sexuality and sexual feelings, that is a form of grooming. It is. And so I don't use that term I don't use that word in a way that I don't really mean, that in a way that is not purposeful. I do believe in defining our terms and being purposeful about our language. I'm being purposeful about that. The fact of the matter is, suggesting to young children that they can switch their gender, which they can't, or talking to them about sexual identity and attraction um, is grooming behavior. I have no doubt that many of the teachers doing this, they think it's acceptable behavior because they've been taught that. They might not have predatory motivations. They're just ideologues. They've been convinced that this is what empathy looks like. We talked about the danger of that on Monday. But even if this is not done with sexual intent, it is still damaging. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just one second. Let me pause, tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is GenuCell. All right, if you are looking for a good anti-aging skin regimen, then ultra retinol cream from GenuCell may be a great option for you. Claudia from Phoenix Road, I've only been using the product for a week. My fine lines already look smoother and I can't wait to see if it keeps getting better. Claudia is raving about GenuCell's new ultra retinol cream with concentrated hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on the deep moisture with the incredible anti-aging effects of a natural retinol alternative. For soft, nourished, and silky smooth skin without the harsh side effects of retinol, you should try GenuCell. So go to GenuCell.com slash Allie for 50% off the brand new ultra retinol cream. You'll also get GenuCell immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less free with your order. Go to GenuCell.com slash Allie. That's G-E-N. UCEL.com slash Allie, free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service, and 100% money back satisfaction guarantee. Go to genucell.com slash Allie, genucell.com slash Allie. All of this is still priming a child's mind for confusion and identity crisis and potentially setting them up for a life of hating their body and how God made them, of sterilization through hormone blockers and genital mutilation, grooming them for that is it's obviously wrong and it's predatory and we have to call it what it is. The power of suggestion is so strong. It's strong for all of us, but especially with children who are taught to and who naturally trust the adults in their lives. And when you think about the predatory power of suggestion, I mean, suggestion can be a good thing in the sense that like if you've ever been insecure about something or you didn't know that you had like a talent or ability and someone suggests to you that you're actually good to it or good at it that can change how you see yourself or how you see your ability to do that thing it can also be negative if someone has ever told you that you look sick or tired even if you don't you start feeling sick or tired so the negative sinful uh, power of suggestion really goes all the way back to the garden that's all satan did he twisted the truth and he said did God really say, and let me suggest to you that the power that you can get from eating this fruit that God has forbidden is this incredible power that will make you equal to God. And man, there's so many facets of that that we could explore that Satan is still um, perpetuating today. But the power of suggestion going all the way back to the first sin, to the Garden of Eden, has potentially destructive power. 
because human beings are both a product of nature and nurture. So a lot of who we are is built in. We are born with it. But a big part of who we are is shaped by our parents, by our teachers, education, our friends, our experiences, and the things that are told to us and said about us. So some people are born with gender dysphoria. It's not a product of suggestion in their lives. It's a mental disorder, according to the DSM-5. It's marked by consistent, persistent, and insistent communication by a young child that they are in the wrong body. It's marked by a lot of distress. And wow, we should have so much compassion for that. But it is not just a boy liking ballet. It's not just a girl liking Tonka trucks. It's not a kid being different. It's not hey, I'm a girl who is insecure about my figure and someone on Reddit told me I may be the opposite sex, so I decided I'm trans. That's not what gender dysphoria is. And yet when children who may who may be um, a bit different, who maybe are a bit different, but are un- unsure about themselves as all of us are at one point, when they're suggested that they're different, their uniqueness may mean that they are the opposite sex, that they're in the wrong body, that they were so-called assigned the wrong gender at birth, or that none of us actually know what we are until we decide one day when we're five years old. Of course, a child is going to think about that. They might even be tormented about that because, whoa, that's a huge responsibility to try to decide your identity. And if you see that being the opposite sex as a child is met with celebration and attention and affirmation, of course, that is going to be intriguing. And that brings me to another point that I'm seeing in all of this, Um, because you see this being said, well, if Florida is banning discussion of gender identity and sexual orientation, then you can't talk about being cisgender or straight either. That's the new gotcha. I saw that on Instagram circulating on an account that just consistently posts propaganda misinformation about everything conservative or Christian. So first of all, and this is going to be, this is going to be scandalous, not this part, but the next part that I'm about to get into. First of all, I agree. I don't want any form of sexuality or gender ideology discussed in the classroom, especially kindergarten through third grade, especially without the consent or presence of the parents. Um, but to the people who say, okay, then there can't be any books that show anything heterosexual or that show heterosexual couples like a prince kissing a princess. Look, I get the point. I understand the gotcha. I understand the logic that you are trying to employ, but are you ready for this? Heterosexual is not a sexual orientation. Cisgender is not gender identity. I know that's controversial. Heterosexual is just what human beings necessarily are in the sense that we are sexually dimorphic beings like most other creatures on earth. It is the reason why anyone on earth today or throughout history exists or has existed. Men and women rely on each other's reproductive systems to perpetuate our species. That's not an orientation. It is the natural and necessary form and function of human beings. People have feelings of attraction to the same sex. Yes, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, of course, but those are feelings of attraction. For the Christian, we know that there is no biblical, but also there's really no scientific category of orientation. Feelings and orientation are two different things. I mean, that's kind of just worldly speak about sexual identity that Christians should kind of take a step back from and question. There is also no biblical or scientific category of gender identity that is separate from sex, as we've talked about many times. In Genesis 1.27, God made us in his image. He made us male and female in his image. That's it. Yes, 
intersex people exist. And I hate that they are lumped in with the whole transgender movement because it's not the same thing. Intersex people have a very rare disorder that that does not negate the rule of sexual dimorphism in the same way that people born with only one leg don't negate the fact that humans are bipeds. The exception does not write or rewrite the rule. Our bodies tell us who we are. They are not subject to our thoughts or feelings or declarations. There is no such thing as cisgender. There is male, there is female, and then there is confusion. This all goes back to the telos or the purpose of our bodies, as we have talked about. Teleology is the knowledge or study of purpose. Organisms have a telos. Every organism does. So a bird's body has a purpose. It has a function. A bird cannot be a fish. If you throw a parrot into the water, it's not going to be able to swim. Its body doesn't have that purpose. It doesn't have that ability. A leaf has a purpose and a function. It cannot be an ice cube. It doesn't function the same way. So form determines function, including for human beings. Our form is male and female with parts that go together to keep our species going. That is a fundamental fact of our existence. So yes, it is different for children to learn an age-appropriate form of that versus some kind of radical progressive ideology about sexuality and gender that contradicts this fact, that contradicts our biological telos. We just need to own that fact that yes, while we don't want any kind of sex ed of any kind at this age or any age without parents' consent, we are okay with girls and boys seeing a mommy and daddy together in a book. We are okay with kids learning that there are only two genders. Like, let's not pretend as Christians and conservatives that that's not what we're saying. Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I think, I mean, for me, for a lot of people, um, we're not saying that we want complete neutrality where we just pretend like people are blobs and that procreation um, does not exist. No, like we want our kids to learn about the natural family. That doesn't mean demonizing anyone. Kids who have two moms or two dads should not be alienated. They shouldn't be condescended in any way. Their parents also shouldn't be treated unkindly. But yeah, we want them to see mom, dad, kids. We want them to learn in the most basic elementary way that our bodies are good. That being a boy is great and you can like what you like. Being a girl is great. You can like what you like. We have differences and these differences are good. So let's not pretend that we want to ban all books that talk about boys or girls or mommies and daddies together. We don't want progressive sexual and gender ideology taught, especially to young children, especially without the informed consent of the parents. Look, the left isn't pushing for neutrality. They're, they're not interested in neutrality. They are interested in, in imperialism. They are interested in control. There's really no such thing as neutrality. As C.S. Lewis says, every single inch, every single square inch of the universe is claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. There's no neutrality. And so the left is consistently and insistently pushing for what they want, the ideology that they want. They're not interested in neutrality. Why shouldn't we as Christians say, okay, that's what you secular progressive think is good and right and true. Here's what we believe know to be good and right and true. We actually think this is better for society. This is healthier for young kids to recognize the existence of male and female and be okay with being a boy or a girl. Like, let's not pretend, oh, we just want to live in a world where 
I don't know, no one acknowledges the existence of male and female. Like, that's not even possible. So let's just be honest about what we think is good and right and true. I don't even think, here's, here's another big thing here. I don't even think we have begun to scratch the surface of the corruption and the perversion that is in the public school to gender clinic pipeline. You hear a lot about the, um, what is it, like high school to prison pipeline. There are different pipelines that a lot of times more social justice activists talk about. Look, I don't think we even understand what exists in the public school and maybe private school too, but any kind of education where the parents are kind of disengaged and they're just going along to get along. The education to gender clinic pipeline that suggests that power of suggestion, confusion to kids, pushes them into the arms of ideological psychologists and doctors who question nothing. And because they want to get paid and they fear backlash from activists, they prescribe the hormone blockers. They do the surgery. They encourage the social transition. And parents are told, if you don't go along, your child will kill themselves. That's what they're told. They're not told that their child is likely to kill themselves anyway, even after surgery, because people who call themselves transgender have a higher likelihood, sadly, of suicide, no matter what, even in much more progressive countries than our own, like Sweden. This is the destruction that is encouraged when young children are given the suggestion that the body they were born in was wrong. It's too much responsibility to give a child to try to pick a new identity. It's damaging physically, psychologically. In an age of self-love, we're encouraging kids to reject and hate their bodies and deny that the body God gave them is both good and an indicator of who they are, that's really troubling to me. That's really troubling to me. I want to read you some of this thread by um, this organization called Women's Voices. And they are a pro-woman feminist organization that I'm sure I disagree with on a lot. I'm guessing they are probably pro-choice. They probably consider themselves progressive in a lot of ways. And they don't consider themselves anti-transgender, but they are pro-sex differences and uh, pro-sex separate spaces for the safety and for the rights of women. And they have uncovered a lot about the roots of the transgender movement and transgender ideology. We have talked about on this podcast, I think it was in the episode called Biblical Telos of Gender, which we can link again in the description of today's episode of John Money, who is a doctor in the 1960s who experimented on two young boys. One of the boys had a botched circumcision and Dr. Money convinced his parents to um, let him undergo a surgery and put him on hormones to make him into a girl. Well, the little boy who grew up, David Reimer, I believe is his name, he um, realized, he just knew that he was in the wrong body. He knew that he was actually a boy. He didn't like that he had had breasts that had developed because his parents had given him estrogen. And so his parents told him the truth. I think it was when he was a teenager, maybe a young man. He transitioned uh, back into being who he really was. And that's not all of that's not all of it. Uh, when he was younger, Dr. Money performed experiments on him and his twin brother, um, sexual experiments, made them engage in sexual touching as children while he and other doctors watched and took notes. That is the person who first came up with this concept of gender identity. Okay, so the roots of this stuff is really disturbing. So when we're talking about the predation that is at times inherent 
in the ideology that we're talking about. Like we're not exaggerating here. This is something that goes back to the very beginning. And what happened to the Reimer twin brothers? They both grew up and killed themselves. I don't think we talk about that enough. I know I've talked about it. I know there are plenty of other podcasters who have talked about it, but that's the roots of this stuff, okay? So when we're saying that we're looking out for children, we really are. But let me read you a little bit more from um, Women's Voices. They've done a lot of research on the roots of transgender ideology. And this is not to say that people who are gender dysphoric or people who are confused about their gender or people who identify as transgender or who transition um, are... perpetrators or perpetuators of um, the kind of behavior and kind of thinking that we are about to talk about in this particular thread. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the roots of the ideology. And yes, some members of the activist class that have nefarious motives, um, that they do have these motivations and that this is the heart and this is these are the roots. Uh, This is the foundation of what this movement is. And I think that if we understood the wickedness that is really inherent in the activism portion of this ideology, we would be a lot stronger in pushing back against it. So this is part of the thread and we can link it and we can put it up on YouTube. So the creator of the trans flag, Robert Hogue, who goes by Monica Helms, used to steal their mother's, his mother's underwear, then move on to stealing random women's underwear for sexual reasons and has written a story about an adult man marrying a teen girl who does not age. Monica Helms designed the first trans pla- uh, trans pride flag in 1999. In more than just a flag, which is Helms's memoir, he states, I'm both man and woman, neither man nor woman, and sometimes both at the same time, I believe enlightened. I believe I'm enlightened. My brain floats between multiple worlds. That doesn't sound like a healthy person to you. That's because this is not healthy. And by the way, I've always thought that it was strange that the trans flag is baby colors. Like, is that not freak anyone else out? So he goes on to describe in his memoir, which they have posted screenshots of, um, he uses the term girl in the shadows to refer to himself in third person. I found several of my mother's cotton panties and bras. He said the girl in the shadows wanted to try them on when I did. They felt exciting to wear. And then while serving with the U.S. Navy during the 1970s, Helms began stealing women's underwear from the laundry room. A lace bra rolled around. I became transfixed. I no longer obsessed about losing my virginity. I sensed a growing desire to dress as a woman. This is the person who created the trans flag who is continues to this day to be an influential trans activist. Helm then described stealing, stealing women's underwear, saying, I walked up to the dryer, popped open the door, grabbed the bra. I had just stolen a bra from a dryer. More than that, I enjoyed wearing it. Was I a pervert? I didn't know. This felt exciting. He goes on to describe again throughout the memoir of buying and stealing women's underwear. Um, He said that he later decided that he would marry a woman and this woman, he says in his memoir, strongly disapproved of his fetish. Helms claims to have have told her before proposing, but says later in life, Donna would deny that I ever told her about my cross-dressing. Throughout their marriage, Helms pursued this fetish, fetish against her wishes, spending family finances on clothing and makeup. Um, and then they ended up divorcing. He fully transitioned, you know, transitioned, I use 
quotes around that. And then he decided that he was going to frequent sex clubs to see if he was gay. It turns out he called himself a lesbian, so he is still attracted to women. Yes, he has had some kind of sexual fetish uh, towards women since he was young. And then he wrote another book. And this is where it gets disturbing and more disturbing and pertinent to what we're talking about. Tales from a Two-Gendered Mind. He would write short stories with sexual themes including forced feminization and age regression. So this is going to be super, super disturbing. And I will probably do a full episode on this at some point because there's so much research out there that actually this organization has uncovered that within pornography, there is something called age play and forced feminization. And it is typically referred to, this is really disturbing for me to even say, but again, I think it's so important that we understand where all of this is coming from. Something called sissy porn. And it is men that are basically acting as young girls and are, you know, doing whatever happens um, in pornography. And Monica Helms, the creator of the trans flag, talks about this in his short stories, Tales from a Two-Gendered Mind. He says, one of the one of the tweets summarizes one story in particular sexualizes a child who is described as a witch who does not age. An adult man marries her and their daughter has a father's features, but her mother's magical powers. Helms's memoir makes references to the desire to have been a little girl. And then there's another short story that he wrote called You Wake Up as a Little Girl. Um, he represents an age regression trope. So I guess, you know, where you go back in age that is commonly found in transgender erotica. Such content is currently available on Amazon, but is also widely pro- proliferated on social media in the form of sissy captions or fictional stories. And the introduction um, to this, I can't even read it. It's, it just describes young girls in leotards and his fantasy in the story is that he wakes up to be a six-year-old girl wearing tights and a leotard. Guys, he is not the only one within this ideology and within this group of activists um, that writes and produces this kind of erotica that sexualizes young children. We've already gone all the way back to John Money. I just mentioned sissy porn. Like this... This is darker than I think that we could even realize. And then the thread goes on to say Helms designed the transgender pride flag in 1999, claimed that the baby blue, pink and white colors were divine intervention. But the color scheme is seen in symbols found on pro pedophile sites. The code predates the flag. Um, The pedophile code predates the flag and has been used in areas of child sex trafficking. And that we don't have time to go into all of it. Um, But uh, this thread does talk about how the lead psychologist at the Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic advocates for normalizing the age play that we were just talking about. Uh, Furrydom, which I don't even really know what that is, but that's a whole other realm of pornography and sexualization that involves um, adults acting like children. And also he advocates for normalizing sadomasochistic practices as further sexuality, uh, further sexualities. This person also identifies as trans. And there is a video that this particular thread plays in which 
um, this transgender man who I, or he's a man who identifies as a woman, that he actually says age play is not pedophilia, um, but that it's something that could be good for, I don't know, transgender people and non-transgender people to play into. And then the thread talks about what we've already talked about with John Money. But look, guys, it's not a coincidence that we see these correlations. Unfortunately, there is something far more perverted and nefarious within the motivations of trying to push children to change their gender. It's really, really disturbing stuff. And again, that's not painting everyone in the movement or everyone who questions their identity with the same brush. I think we just need to understand what is underneath all of this. This is demonic, okay? Like, I don't think that the right thing to do when we are facing this kind of demonic activity, this kind of darkness and perversion, is to play games with the pronoun police and use pronoun politeness. You are acquiescing to in and in one sense, affirming some of the darkest stuff that we have ever uncovered or can even be comprehended by the sane mind. Like we want nothing to do with this. We take every bit of action to push back against this. This is the predatory, this is a predatory ideology. It's not one of inclusion and empathy and understanding. It is one that is damaging, that has really evil and wicked roots. And we're gonna talk about now how that relates to Disney and what Disney is doing in just one second. Gotta tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Masterworks. Riding horses to work, making your own soap, hacking gas pumps. It seems like Biden's America is right on schedule. These are all things that people are doing apparently to save money, but we have dug up something that gives us hope because JP Morgan declared that alternatives are no longer optional, and they're encouraging everyone to look outside of just stocks and bonds because one of the hottest markets on earth is an unexpected alternative art. It's surprising to hear that people invest in art unless you know the stats. It's got a 0.01 correlation to public equities, which means it's great for diversification. And its returns have outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for the last 25 years. Now, art investing is no longer just for billionaires anyone can do this. It's for you and me, and you can do it through Masterworks, the first platform letting anyone add shares of famous art to their portfolio. My audience can skip Masterworks waitlist by going to masterworks.art slash Again, that's masterworks.art slash See important regulation and disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. That's masterworks.art slash So, Knowing what we know, talking about what we just talked about, uh, keep that in mind as you think about the fact that Disney is so apparently passionately and adamantly for teachers talking to young children about gender switching. I mean, that's troubling. That's troubling. And look, I would say that most people at Disney don't have any predatory inclinations or predatory motivations. But I do think it's pertinent to talk about the tweets that were put out by Christopher Rufo um, that outline the some of the things that Disney employees have said about the content that they want to distribute to children. So let me read you 
some of these quotes and you can go to Chris's timeline and you can actually watch the videos. This was an internal meeting, all hands on deck that was leaked to Chris. Executive producer Latoya Ravino says that she loves Disney's content and she really wanted to uh, work for Disney, but people told her she wasn't going to be able to, you know, insert her agenda or insert any kind of queer content. But she says, Meredith Roberts and our leadership over there has been so welcome to my not at all secret gay agenda. I I was just wherever I could adding queerness. If you see anything queer in the show, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. So that's happening. Corporate President Carrie Burke says, I'm here as a mother of two queer children, actually one transgender child and one pansexual child. And also as a leader, we have many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories and yet we don't have enough leads and narratives in which gay characters just get to be characters and not have to be about gay stories a pansexual child transgender child and pansexual child what are what are the odds there what are the odds there carrie production coordinator alan march says they've been really open to exploring queer stories so it's not just a numbers game of how many lgbtq plus characters you have the more centered the story is on a character the more nuance you get into their story especially with trans characters the only way to have these kind of trans characters canonical asexual trans characters canonical bisexual characters is to give them stories where they can be their whole selves amazing i mean it's one thing to talk about what you might think is a child's like sexual orientation, which I think is really disturbing. But when you're talking about transgenderism and the gender transition of a young person and just the damage that you're doing to their mind and bodies, it's amazing that this has become mainstream at all. Chris Rufo also quoted the diversity and inclusion manager, Vivian Ware, who said, last summer we removed all of the gendered greetings in relationship to our live spiels at the parks. So we no longer say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, which is just really sad. It's just really sad. Boys and girls exist. Everyone who is alive is a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. And to try to erase this is really sad. What I also think is pertinent to the conversation, which I don't think characterizes probably Disney as a whole, but I do think uh, shows just how hypocritical they really are. Uh, Chris Rufo also tweeted out um, several employees of Disney who have been charged with or convicted of child sex abuse. There have been employees every year for at least the past decade who have met these charges. And he links all of these accusations to the journalism that came out at the time that they were accused and they were charged and convicted. He says Disney cruise ship employee Milton Braganza was caught on camera molesting an 11-year-old girl, but Disney authorities allegedly told security to keep your mouth shut, allowing the man to evade arrest. Um, Ex-Disney cruise officer said that she was reported not to or she was ordered not to report the molestation. Disney employees Savannah Lawrence and Jonathan McGrew were arrested for soliciting a threesome with undercover agents posing as a 13 year old girl. Our fantasy is to play stepdad, stepdaughter, stepmother, they said in an online chat. Disney employees. He says, Chris Grufer says, Disney employee Robert Kingsolver was arrested for soliciting sex from undercover agents posing as a 14-year-old girl. I work for Disney, so I love to see dads having fun with their daughters, he said in the chat. Oh my gosh, okay, I can't read the last line. Really awful, terrible things. 
Um, another tweet, Disney concierge Alan Treister was arrested for soliciting sex from undercover agents posing as a 14-year-old boy. A Disney employee Paul Fazio was arrested for 50 counts of possession of child pornography, including multiple scenes of new prepubescent children engaging in sexual activity with adults. Disney character actor Patrick Holgerson was arrested for soliciting sex from undercover agents posing as a 13-year-old Boy, he said, I work with kids. I love kids, but not in a bad way, he told the police officer. Sicko. Chris Rufo, Disney World employees Justin Hazen and Arlandris Sims were arrested and charged with a total of 40 counts of child pornography depicting victims as young as four and five years old. And that's not all. He names other people who were involved, who were Disney employees who were involved in this kind of awful, demonic, satanic behavior. And again, I'm not saying that characterizes everyone at Disney or hopefully the core motivations of Disney, but is it a little hypocritical? Is it a little suspect, a little sus? Yeah, I think so. And also while they are saying, oh, we might, you know, we might move our business from Florida because we don't believe that we don't believe that there should be any prohibition against talking to kids about sex switching when they're five years old. They are also spreading their business particularly uh, Disney Plus, to places like Saudi Arabia, where it's literally illegal to be a homosexual. But this is, you know, this is what they do. This is the same thing that Disney did. I think it was back in 2018 after the heartbeat bill passed in Georgia. They said, oh, I don't think that we're going to be producing any movies in Georgia. Let us let us no longer let us no longer do business with Georgia because this is so egregious that anyone could possibly want to stop the murder of babies inside the womb. That was Bob Iger who was the CEO at the time. Meanwhile, one of their biggest markets is uh, is China. And not only that, but they were also producing Mulan right outside of Xinjiang, which is where the concentration camp of Uyghur Muslims is in China. So this is what corporations do. This is who they are. Um, I do think that, unfortunately, there is a lot of predatory behavior towards children, even if it's not sexually predatory. It is ideologically predatory towards children in these large corporations, especially corporations that produce content for children. So we have to be so careful. And before I get into kind of what I think, how I think we should approach this as Christian parents, I do just kind of want to explore this question of why. Like, why would a company like Disney or any other big company take this kind of stand that is so unpopular among most Americans? Don't companies just care about profit? Don't they just want to make money? Don't they want good approval ratings among their customer base? Well, it's complicated. In a sense, yes, they care about their public image, and maybe they care a little bit if Christians or conservatives boycott, no longer use their product. But the fact of the matter is, is that Disney and a lot of companies in the United States don't really have an interest in serving our interests. They don't really care, and they don't have to care about us taking our money away. And that is because they are primarily owned by major investment firms, major corporations like Vanguard and BlackRock. That's the truth. I mean, we've talked about this before in regards to the Great Reset. Um, BlackRock is an investment management firm, and it manages trillions and trillions of dollars, more dollars than the combined spending of every single American. So they have a ton of power. They have 
majority stakes in some of the largest and the most influential companies, or at least a lot of stakes or a lot of shares um, in a, a lot of our biggest companies like Pfizer, like Facebook, uh, like the New York Times. I mean, Vanguard and BlackRock, they are very similar companies in that regard. They own, they have the majority of influence in most of our major corporations in America today. That's the truth. And it's a woke corporation. It says that one of its highest and greatest values and goals is diversity, is representation. So we're not just talking about the critical race theory, anti-whiteness kind of stuff. We are also talking about uh, pro-transgender representation. And one of their biggest goals is also um, green energy. And so some of the crisis that we are seeing today with oil companies, because actually Vanguard and BlackRock also own uh, the majority of shares in a lot of oil companies, a lot of it can be blamed on these corporations that have green goals. And all of this does play into the World Economic Forum and Davos. And yes, as conspiratorial as it sounds, the Great Reset, it does all play together. And this environmental, social and governance credit scores that these companies are more interested in having than your approval as a Christian conservative. And BlackRock pressures the companies that they invest in to agree with them socially, or what they would say is that they set expectations uh, for the social behavior and the social stances of the companies that they are investing in. And that includes Disney. If you look at the charitable giving and the annual report that BlackRock puts out, you can see where they invest their money. They are a very woke company in a lot of ways. Now, probably not personally, probably not the people who are at the top. Um, they just care about making money. There's a lot of money to be made, as we've talked about, in green energy and in equity and diversity policies and training and all of this. And plus, it's. I think they ideologically, I mean, they might align with it or say that they align with it, but really it's just a way to kind of crush the people who are below them and to crush the working class and to take more power and money themselves. And so if you want to know the why behind why Disney uh, would make the decisions that they do when it seems like they would be so unpopular, yeah, it's because BlackRock owns 7.7% .7 of their shares and Vanguard owns 9.1% of their shares. So, I mean, that's the truth of it. And we could talk a lot more about all that. I mean, we could talk all about where BlackRock has its tentacles. It's really overwhelming. I mean, we've talked about it before. We talked about it with Justin Haskins, and we'll link that past episode. That might be my most popular, my most listened to episode ever, actually, because it really is so fascinating. But the question is, okay, what should we do, though? Because even if our boycotts, even if us voting with our dollar doesn't make a difference, even if they are just going to push forward with the agenda that they have. If it's really just BlackRock that controls the world, that controls a lot of our governments, that controls these corporations, um, what should we do? What should we do as conservatives, primarily as Christians? What should we do as parents? And so I'll get into that in just one second. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. That is Annie's Kit Club. This spring, make the most of your rainy days with Annie's Kit Clubs. They send you a new kit every month with all the materials and directions that you need to make a project. You can try out a new hobby or give your kids a steady supply of constructive kits. So they've 
They've got all kinds of different craft kits, either for yourself or for your kids. If your kids are into crafting, woodworking, STEM projects, or you want them to be, then Annie's Kit Clubs is a great option for you. It has a membership for them where your kids can learn new skills, express themselves, and gain confidence. You can keep the whole family engaged and creative with hands-on monthly kits. So next time the family is stuck inside, or if you just want to stay inside to keep cool on a hot afternoon, instead of reaching for the remote or having your kids spend hours in front of screens, treat your kids in yourself to something fun and creative that is really good for their mind, helps them become critical thinkers and problem solvers. Now is a great time to try Annie's Kit Clubs because they are 75% off your first shipment. All subscriptions are month to month and you can cancel anytime. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Get your first month 75% off. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off your first month. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right, so what should we Christian moms do in the face of all of this, in the face of this evil that we know that seems to be defended by what used to be the greatest hub and distributor of family-friendly content, Disney? I know a lot of you have very fond memories of Disney growing up, and it's near and dear to your heart. Now, I think that that is completely understandable to feel some nostalgia, and there are a lot of adults, adults who love Disney. I think sometimes it can cross into kind of weird territory, to be perfectly honest, when adults like kids stuff too much. I think that's, I also think that that is one reason why Disney has become more progressive because probably more than ever, they have a lot of adults without children who come to their parks and now are a a big portion of their customer base who really don't care what their child or what children are learning because they don't have children. So I think that's an interesting aspect to all of this. I don't think it's weird to like Disney. I think it'd be fun to go to Disney World, you know, one day with uh, just my husband or go to Universal Studios. I know that's separate, but so I'm not knocking if you like it. But I do think the obsession with it does get a little weird. And I think that we should question that if we are adults who are obsessed with Disney or anything that is actually intended for children. Um, And also... I think that we need to realize that Disney actually has been a little sketchy for a while. This is not a brand new thing. Now, I didn't really know that. I did watch Disney when I was when I was growing up in the 90s and probably early 2000s. We went to Disney World a few times. We weren't like Disney obsessed, but I remember it being really fun when I went there. Um, and so, but a lot of a lot of parents didn't allow their kids to watch Disney because they actually thought that Disney was too liberal then. So this is not new. This is not out of nowhere. Disney has been going in this direction for a long time. And a lot of you have been boycotting Disney for a long time. A lot of you have been, um, have realized the kind of muck that Disney has promoted for a while. And so good for you. But for those of us who are just kind of thinking about this and just kind of making this decision, maybe I'm too late to even have any credibility in talking about this, but that's because our kids are just kind of getting to the age where it would even be interesting to watch Disney. Personally, for me, I don't think that we can support Disney. I don't think that, I don't see us going to Disney parks. I don't see us watching Disney Plus or watching Disney movies, maybe the old Disney movies, if I can get like a DVD player or a VHS player, I don't even know how I would make that work and watch, you know, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Pocahontas and things like that, maybe. Uh, But I don't see us engaging with Disney in a way that would give them any money. I just don't. This is too far. 
This is too much. I mean, when you're talking about being for the kind of ideology and the kind of practices and behavior that is that is enabling and celebrating the genital mutilation of minors, I just, I don't think that I can be a part of that. And knowing that they are trying to disciple my children in an anti-God, anti-biblical, anti-good-for-them way at their parks and through their content, why would I pay the money to do that? I cannot give over my child's mind to these people in good conscience, knowing what they are trying to do. Listen, the world is trying to disciple your children. The world will indoctrinate your children. It's not neutral. They want your children to become activists, to agree with them, and to align with their worldview. And it is our responsibility to steward our children's hearts and minds as well as we can, as responsibly as we can, to disciple them in a biblical worldview as much as we possibly can, to teach them what is good and right and true, because the world is going to teach them what is bad and wrong and false. And so we have to do the best job that we can to protect their hearts and minds. That doesn't mean that we are going to be able to shield them from everything, nor do we want to. I mean, that's not how we build their immunity to evil and to deceit. Of course, we want them to understand some of the things that go on in the world, but we want to have control over that. Yes, we want to ensure um, that they are learning about the things that they have to learn about in a way that is age appropriate, in a way that is good for their development, that meets them where they are. And really only parents who love and know their children the best can do that. I'm not going to leave that up to teachers. I'm not going to leave that up to Disney. It's our responsibility to primarily teach and to disciple our children. I think we just have to be really careful about the content that our kids consume, even if we think, oh, they can't understand that. Yeah, sure, they saw a trans character. They didn't really get it. I think that our kids, even our young kids, understand and see and take in more than we think. And that, again, the power of suggestion is so strong. We have to make the first suggestions that, hey, your body is good. Hey, this is what God calls the family. This is who you are. It's great to be a girl. It's great to be a boy. All of these things, we have to start at a really young age because like I said, the world is going to tell them the opposite. So I personally can't support Disney. Now, I know that I can probably not feasibly boycott every single entity that has ever said something that I disagree with. And it's not really about that. I mean, I think that we can do the most that we can to try to live lives of integrity and support businesses that support our values and aren't supporting things that we don't agree with. That's true. I mean, but I do. I'm sure there are companies, yes, that I give money to that I don't agree with. But when it comes to my child consuming content and being influenced by people who I know are trying to indoctrinate them in an anti-God worldview, like that is just a line that I'm going to draw. That's a hill that I'm going to die on. And we all have to use discernment and prayer and wisdom and the counseling of godly friends and pastors or church to try to decide, you know, which businesses, companies we're going to support and which ones were not. I think we just have to be really, really careful about companies that are producing content that are trying to introduce our children to a destructive worldview. So for us, we can't support Disney. We just can't. And there are other fun things to do in the world. There are other great producers of awesome family-friendly content. There are fun places to go. And so, yeah, it's sad, but 
it's not a tragedy. And guess what? Let's remember this also, is that Christians have gone through far worse and are going through far worse than this right now. They've had to give up a lot more than their Disney trip. They have had to make much bigger sacrifices. And so this is a small one that we can make, I think, to the glory of God and to the benefit of our children. This is not the worst trial that we are going to go through as children. It's not the hardest, or as Christians, uh, it's not the hardest decision that we're going to make. And look, there, I'm going to do a whole episode on this too, and I can't get into all of it right now, but the church has been countercultural from our beginning when it comes to how people approach children, how we value children, how we see them as worthy. When the church started, uh, pagan, ancient Rome and Greece really saw children as just burdens, as objects that are available, that are accessible for exploitation and abuse and neglect. That is how the ancient world saw children. It wasn't until Christianity then uh, internationalized the originally Jewish idea of people being made in the image of God and God knitting us together in our mother's womb, um, but also introduced this Jesus who clearly cared about children, who welcomed the children unto him, who introduced this concept of radical equality that men, women, children, slaves, free people, that we are all equally dead apart from Christ and in him we are equally saved. That was a radical concept of equality that we see throughout the New Testament, including in Ephesians 4 and 5, when we see that the husband is called to love and care for his wife, that a father is not supposed to provoke their child to anger, that masters are supposed to treat their slaves well. That was unheard of in, in the time that Ephesians was written. Um, and yet that's what Christianity has always done. It's radically fought for the most vulnerable. Child exploitation and abuse and child sacrifice, unfortunately, is as old as time, just about. And the church for our 2000 years have been at our best defenders of these children, defenders of the most vulnerable. And we are still called to that today. We are still called to be a countercultural force for the sake of children and the most vulnerable. So let's continue to be that. Let me tell you one sponsor and then one more sponsor, then we'll get out of here. All right, speaking of all of this, it's time to read our Bibles. It's time to know our Bibles. If we're going to teach our Bibles in a biblical worldview to our kids, we have to know our Bibles ourselves. That means we need to be in the Word of God. If you are a busy gal like I am, then uh, then it might be easier for you to listen to scripture rather than sit down for an hour in the morning and read it, although you can do both, and that is awesome. But on the days when you don't have time to sit down, you can listen to the Word of God, and it's still hiding scripture in your heart. So you should try the Dwell app, which allows you to do that. They've got over a dozen new recordings of the Bible. They've handpicked voices that will engage and inspire you. In case you're wondering, yes, they have the best versions of the Bible too, like ESV, NASB, uh, KJV, and many others. They have a read-along experience. You can listen while you read for enhanced uh, listening time, and you can really memorize and understand what you are reading and hearing. So it's time to get into the Word with Dwell. Go to dwellapp.io slash relatable to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. That 33% means you save $50. So make sure to visit dwellapp.io slash relatable. Commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for life. That's dwellapp.io io slash relatable 
All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening or for watching. If you love this show, share it with a friend, share it with your family members, share it on social media, on Instagram, and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. That would mean a lot to us. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Thank you guys so much for being who you are and for being a part of the Relatable family. And guess what? We have a really exciting announcement. I almost forgot about this. We have a really exciting announcement. I'm, I might announce next week or maybe the next week after that. It depends on a few things, but I'm super excited. You're going to be super excited about it too. And so I'll just leave you on the edge of your seat there. I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day. We will be back here tomorrow. Thank you.